Welcome to the Artish Plunge podcast, a podcast exploring the curious relationship between artists and the other professions, jobs, and experiences that have allowed them to plunge into the art they create. I'm your host, Christy Darnell Batani. Do you have a dream? Do you live your life conceptually, first visualizing an idea and then doggedly pursuing it? Well, architect-turned-sculptor Bill McBride certainly does. After an exalted career in architecture in Chicago, Bill followed his love affair with prairies, hunting for and eventually finding a place to create his own sculpture that would invite and nurture other people's connection with the rolling sea of America's disappearing prairies. A space called home by only 44 other residents, but open to anyone and everyone. So grab your sunbonnet and let's head to the waving grasslands of Kansas to see what Bill is doing in the studio today. That, oh, you're dropping things. Bill is, do that again? Oh, Bill is dropping a pile of silverware looking for a fork. I don't know, Bill, what is that? It was an electric pencil sharpener. pencil sharpener? I wasn't even close. Okay, so why is a pencil sharpener part of your daily life? Or or why is that in, uh, part of your <laughs> studio practice, Bill? I, you know, I start when you ask about a sound in the studio. I was thinking, boy, there really is pretty quiet around here. And uh, but the, then I thought, well, there, there's one, you know, the, the pencil sharpener. And I thought that really means something to me because when I'm sharpening a pencil, I'm about to do something. I need to write something down or I need to draw it. I need to visualize it. So it's always sort of a moment of excitement and satisfaction to stick the pencil in and get a nice tip. Oh, I like uh, that. Yeah. Well, where are you today? I'm seeing what looks a bit like an office. Where are you? I am in Matfield Green, Kansas, in my office, which is next to my studio, uh, just outside of Matfield, population of 48 people. I want to come back to that real quick before we get into Matfield Green. Um, What are you working on these days in the studio? I am uh, working on a a big branch or a, a cottonwood that had washed up in the river and washed out of the bank. And so I, it, it was about 12 feet long. And so I was going to render this beautiful piece somehow, preserve it, and then maybe hang it in a tree. But then in, in the process, I started putting concrete on it and it got heavy and I couldn't hang <laughs> in a tree. So it's been evolving. And so now uh, it's, uh, vertical, so it can support its own weight, and uh, and so a complete surprise, serendipitous, you know, just sort of following how how to take care of this branch. I love hearing that from you because I have t- traditionally worked two dimensional, but I've started dabbling in a little bit of more three dimensional sculpture, and I feel like so often it's just this kind of serendipitous adventure. I go off one direction and then I realize like, well, that won't support itself. I need to, you know, pivot over here. So I'm feeling a little comfort that coming from someone who actually works in sculpture. Maybe that's just how it goes. <laughs> that's the way it is. And it's uh, adapting all the time and thinking all the time. So it's right. the excitement of it, really. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I want to go back now because I do think a big part of our conversation today is about place. 
And so you've already referenced Matfield Green. It's in kind of the middle of Kansas. Uh, what is the population there, Bill? About 48 people in the town, maybe, you know, a few hundred people. In the greater metro. Field. Yeah, in the yeah. greater metro area. <laughs> so, okay. So if people have a little bit of an idea, I want to start first. Um, this is one of those rare times where I want to say why I know about it. So this past summer, we, we've started spending some of our summertime in Minnesota, which means a long drive from Austin, Texas to Minnesota going up and then coming back. So um, last summer, we were doing the same trek and we needed to break it up. So we ended up staying in Cottonwood Falls. I don't remember how or why that came to be, but it did. And when I was there, I learned about the uh, Tallgrass Prairie National Preserve, which is this amazing place for our listeners who have never heard. It's about 11,000 acres. It's the largest remaining tallgrass prairie in the United States. It's a really unique public-private relationship between the National Park Service and the Nature Conservancy, and it includes like 40 miles of hiking trails. There's a bison herd. It's really beautiful. And so this summer, we intentionally stayed an extra day so we could go hiking and spent some time there in the in the tallgrass prairie. But while I was at the Airbnb in this little town, again, Cottonwood Falls, slightly bigger than Matfield Green, but not a lot, I see a brochure for someplace called Matfield Green, the Bank Gallery, Prairie Art Path, and I'm like, what the heck is that? I grew up in Manhattan, Kansas, which is not far, and I guarantee you that in the 80s in Kansas, there was nothing artsy going on in that area, or at least to my little high school knowledge, you know, which again, is probably limited. But I was fascinated to see like, what is going on. So we drove over to Matfield Green. And it was a kind of a, a early evening, the sun was starting to go down. It was our last night of summer in, in my mind. And we took a walk on what I now know is Bill's Prairie Art Path. And it's just stunning. It's beautiful. It's I don't know. It's it's kind of otherworldly. And so, but you, you're not from Kansas, Bill. You, I think, were born in Ohio. You were educated at Harvard, had a professional career in Chicago. What on earth led you to Matfield Green? It was actually the uh, love of prairie. Uh, you know, I grew up in Ohio. We had a summer house in Indiana that was sort of prairie-like, but I always felt connected there. And I always felt very connected to nature as I was growing up. And um, so I was an architect in Chicago and I had a growing interest in prairie and worked on the prairie restoration projects in Chicago. And, and then I, I, we bought a house on the Chicago River that was run down and sort of a run down riverbank. And so we started planting prairie and it became a community project and the organization is still going. It's called Riverbank Neighbors. And we successfully planted prairie and, and paths along the river for two or three blocks. And, uh, and so I started to know more and more about prairie. And so I loved architecture and I have my own firm. And it was very satisfying in many respects. But I thought, you know, I really want to be this. I've always been a sculptor, suppressed sculptor. And mm -hmm. And I really wanted to get out and be in, in the middle of the prairie and do my work. So I, we started looking for properties and uh, and looked all up and down the plains. And 
that found came to Matt Peel Green because a friend of mine, you know, from high school was on a panel with Wes Jackson, who is uh, from the Land Institute in Salina, famous environmentalist and geneticist and um, environmentalist. And so I had read about him, but then my friend said, oh, I know a friend who's looking for a prairie. And he said, oh, have him call me. So I called Wes Jackson happily, and he has was connected to Matfield Green, so he invited us here. And um, I guess I had come through Matfield Green once in my searches, and then I got this connection to West Jackson. I want to I want to pause right there because I'm I'm have this vision of so it's one thing to say like well we might move let's go check out Portland or let's see what's happening in Chicago. When you just say, I think I want to live in the prairie, that's a little vague and open-ended. So do you just get in the van and start driving around, or how do you start to hone in on where is the right prairie space for you? Well, I mean, I had to learn that process. I started reading books about prairie and, you know, everything I could get my hands on, looking at maps and thinking about it. And so, you know, we sort of thought... there's a side story here is that I met my wife. Uh, we had worked together at Friends of the Chicago River. She was on the staff. And um, and so I had come out and seen this place at Matfield Green. And it was with a couple friends, and we were, I was excited about it. And so then I reconnected with her. I hadn't seen her for years. And the night we reconnected at a party, I said, I'm moving to Matfield Green or moving to Kansas in five years. Will you join me? <laughs> and she said, yes. And so we got, you know, five years later, we were married and we moved to Kansas. By the way, I wish you all could, our listeners could see your smile. There's this little impish smile you've got going through this whole story that is wonderful. And I'm that is a woman who loves you because um, there aren't many folks that if you say, hey, I'm moving to middle of nowhere, Kansas, want to come? That are just ready to go. <laughs> I guess I was trying. I was trying to live out my belief that you have to live conceptually. You have to have an idea, mm-hmm. and like follow the bliss, and actually have an idea and do something. So this idea grew in my head of being an artist in the prairie and being able to walk around and collect sticks and stones and put things together, and and, uh, and so it was a dream. And and so I just like consistently went for it and had a great partner and my wife who was willing to do it. What do you think it is about the prairie? I mean, because it's such an interesting space. I mean, there's hardly any trees. There's definitely hardly any structures. So what is it about it that's that's magical? There's there's so little obstruction. You really sort of sense the surface of the earth. And they're low hills, but they're not, you know, they're, they're not really high hills, just a few hundred feet. But it's just sort of like a rolling sea. And then when you walk in it, it's completely complex and deep, but it's what's at your feet. So there's this liberation of wide views and huge skies, big big clouds, you know, storms, the, the whole beauty of that. But then at your feet is this complexity. It's a whole biosystem that's, you know, fascinating, all the prairie plants and that have such deep roots. And so Matfield Green is right in the middle of the the best prairie in the United States. You know, it's big, the Flint Hills. Yeah. It's quite dramatic. It is interesting, like, because even hiking around in that area, it makes you realize there are no other places that I have been to in the U.S. where you have that unobstructed 
view really as far as you can see. And there's not a telephone pole. There's not, there's not anything man-made for as far as your eye can see. And that, you know, other than the ocean, I don't know where to say that about anymore. And it's, I don't know, it is very liberating. Yeah. And so the local industry is, is beef, you know, like people raise cattle. It's because cattle love to eat the grass. Mm-hmm. And um, so there, there are, it's not um, wilderness, you know, right. it's sort of a man, it's a, it's occupied land by people. But the, luckily the ranchers have a pretty sympathetic relation to the land that simulates what the buffalo did or the bison did in years past. And they still burn that maybe too much in my opinion, but there's still fires that clear out the trees and, and the, the invasive species. So it's pretty, it's pretty original, beautiful prairie, a lot of seeds. Well, there was something about being there, particularly walking along the prairie art path, which maybe we'll talk about in a little more detail next. But um, it reminds me of the Chianati of Donald Judd's space um, in Marfa, Texas. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it has a very similar feel to me, obviously different topography, but feeling very connected to the land and just this sort of calm to it that I could see being really good for conceptualizing ideas. And there's something about Matfield Green in particular that uh, is very, um, uh, it really uh, allows people to connect to the earth. And, and, and people try to define that, why that is. Is there some special energy here? But it's, you know, it's beautiful prairie. It's a small place. And um it is really magical. Well, you're also part of a group, isn't it? The Pioneer Bluffs Foundation. Maybe you can tell listeners a little bit about that as well. So, you know, so we moved to Kansas and I, my intent was to be a sculpt, you know, to call myself a sculptor. And, it, and so we built a house that took a few years. And so it was, you know, it was probably five years before I really started calling myself a sculptor and working regularly. And so it was a challenge because of building a house, getting adapted here. And then Pioneer Bluffs uh, was a, a ranch headquarters or a ranch just across the street from, from the road from our house. And um, it was up for sale for the first time, you know, for first time ever. It was founded in uh, 1859. And, um, and so it's a long story because Wes Jackson always wanted to buy this land as a, as a, um, and he, uh, let me back up just a second. He, I've mentioned Wes Jackson, the Land Institute. Well, yeah, he's started the Land Institute in Salina and then was going to, trying to move the map to, uh, move the institution to Matfield Green. And he had won the MacArthur Genius Award and had a lot of backers. And so he was had some money. And so he bought a lot of land in Matfield Green. And so that really made, so environmentalists from all over the country came here for conferences. Even though the headquarters was never moved from Salina, it was sort of a spiritual center and a retreat center for national environmentalists. And so it brought a lot of interesting people to town. So I had talked, the, the property that we own actually bought from West Jackson. 
which is an old railroad property that we can get into, which is the, where the prairie iron path is. But uh, Wes was interested in this ranch just north of town, and and uh, he never was able to to get it. And so that now it was up for sale. So Wes and I agreed that I would try to find backers to buy the ranch from his list of donors or from his supporters. And so I, I did that, but we only had one uh, one donation of $500,000. And, and so that was not enough to buy the ranch, but we ended up buying the historic ranch headquarters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's a beautiful, you know, original house and barns and it was only 14 acres. But anyway, I bought, or I was the bidder. We bought that at auction and started Pioneer Bluffs Foundation. And what happens there? Well, we want, it, you know, it evolved over years and survived. And so it was, we wanted it to be an environmental center, you know, historic buildings, national register, and uh, and deal with environmental issues and the land. And, you know, I was the president of the board. My wife was president of the board. People, you know, like over time, though, the board sort of morphed into the reality of really, it's hard to do that. It's hard to assemble a national audience in such a small place, but yet there are ranches around who are interested in ranching history. So the organization moved towards heritage and ranching history, which, and I, as that happened, I sort of left the organization were supporters, but I don't, I'm happy they're there. They have weddings. They have great programming about, uh, uh, you know, history, uh, heritage and, and ranching heritage. Yeah. And so well, it's all very interesting, but it's not my pa- it's not my passion. So right. But that that's also making me think of like I'm thinking of um I I can't remember the name of it. I walked in in Cottonwood Falls and went to there's a kind of well known ranch wear like clothing store there right on the main street. And, you know, that's who primarily lives in the area. So I'm imagining you and your wife have come to Matfield Green. Surely you're getting a few little sideways glances like, who are you and why are you here? Did you have any uh, adaptation moments um, when you're first getting started there? Yeah, no, I mean, still have people say that even after 50 years, you're a newcomer. Right. And so there's definitely, and it maybe it's worse at first, but uh, yeah, there's there's definitely people are cordial, but uh, there's definitely the old people, the locals, and uh, and what do they call it? I heard it was said that our place was a new age playground. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it may be a lot of things. That's probably not the word I would use for it. Right. It yeah. was not. Yeah. So. <laughs> So there, there was there were plenty of skeptics, but uh, you know, frankly, I just didn't I didn't come for the people, I didn't come for the community, I came for the land, and so I'm happy to uh, try to get along with people, but I'm not going to deviate from my interest and, and my passion. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So you talked, um, you know, growing up in Ohio and being connected to nature. Were you, were you interested in the arts? Were you interested in sculpture as a, as a kid or where did that come uh, from? Yeah, just, uh, uh, my family was uh, a wonderful family, two older brothers. And, but everybody was, my father was a doctor. My mother had been a nurse. 
And uh, it was everybody was smart and accomplished. And my brothers yet, you know, graduated from Harvard, or professionals, and all the. But I think my mind just didn't work that way. And but thankfully, I wasn't pressured in any direction. But um, I uh, I was not a bookish academic, and so I spent a lot of time alone because my brothers were a little older and they were nose roys in books. And so I was out in the swamp or on the trail or, you know, I really uh, spent a lot of time and got connected to nature. Yeah. And, and so um, uh, now what was your question? <laughs> well, do you remember the first time you were drawn to the arts, you know, maybe the first sculpture that caught your attention? So I made things, I, I sort of naturally sort of put things together in the basement, you know, like, but, and then my family appreciated art. We would go to, on our trips, we would go to museums and look at art and talk about paintings and that kind of thing and appreciate beauty. But there was no mentor, nobody, like the idea of being an artist was uh, not on the table. You know, right. it's just, there's no models. I didn't know an artist. So I'm so jealous of the friends I know now who grew up as artists. And they yeah. started so young with that conception of what a, a professional practice could be like. Right. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse to be in a family or an environment that's really supportive of the academic professions because, you you know, you there's so much push to go that, that route. And yet, you know, you've got these other sort of instincts and desires. And yet I couldn't, I'm like you, I couldn't have more fathomed what did an artist look like. I, don't, I, don't, I had no idea. Like... That's a made-up thing in books, you know, like I don't know what that is. Yeah. And so when I was in uh, at Harvard, I, I, I kept making things. I still made, I made mobiles like, and, like Calder, and, you know, I would play around. But, and I really realized that I maybe should consider being an artist. And so I went to an art professor, a lecturer in modern painting that I, respected an older guy and and I made an appointment and went and talked to him and said, I, I you know, I want to be an artist. What should I do? And he, he basically scorned me. I was so mad at him for what he did. <laughs> but he just said, You would if you don't know you're an artist, you're not gonna be an artist. Aww. And he walked out. Yeah. I was I was just flabbergasted. And so I think it was rude, but I think it's also true that it, you've just gotta keep listening to yourself and you've just got to go do it and yeah. but i so i had to find the models or had to sort of feel my way to and so i did that through architecture I became a designer i can design buildings which is a great discipline and it's it's visual it's so complementary to art right and so i did that professionally to meet the professional standard but then i just kept doing projects on the side so, like, what kind of things would you do on the side? I mean, because I, I know all the architects I know are just crazy busy, working really late hours. So, where were these other side projects? Oh, it would be intermittent. I would do, I would volunteer to do something for a charity auction or, and, and then make some kind of object or make a mask or something. And so, I would try to really spend, take those very seriously and do, you know, interesting stuff. And so the final one was the, uh, while I was still an architect, was the Cows on Parade in Chicago in yeah. 1999. Yeah. And so I took this very, 
I was an architect that did a lot of work in the Wrigley building, and they asked me to buy one of these cabs. I thought, oh, no. And then, <laughs> but then I realized that I, for $1,000, I could have a cow in the front of the Wrigley building all summer. Yeah. You know, thousands and thousands of people coming by. So we took the job uh, very seriously, and I had a friend who was a good painter and a friend who was a carpenter. And so we, we started working on this cow. And then it, it made, uh, it was a great success. It was a, on the poster. It was, it, and so it, would, it confirmed in my mind that I could be an artist because here yeah. I was competing with other artists and mine was the one that really stood out yeah. as different. It's funny how I think all of us need that a little validation that you know this idea that we think we might be an artist but we need something or somebody out there to sort of give the nod like yes you are one and you know for you the cow the cow was your nod <laughs> yeah it's a big one yeah, yeah. and then uh, along the same lines is when i do something now i always watch to see what kids think yeah you know and if i see the kids really reacting and being gravitated to something then i know that i'm on the right yeah, they're unfiltered, and, and you get a, a, a better reading, I think, than educated views. Yeah, I, I love that, too. And it's making me think about it, both your work as an architect and even this first uh, sort of very public art project, you did it with a team. And that's, that's really an interesting thing, because a lot of artists start off being very isolated, and yet... Um, a lot of the projects, particularly some of the ones you're taking on there in Matfield Green, it, it involves other people, and you want to bring in other people. And um, how do you how do you find folks to work with now? Well, uh, there there was a, a person in town who was very important to the development of this place as an arts community uh, that were from Holland, and were here for about ten years. And who was that? It was Tone Hawk and uh, Anz Zubbier. And, uh, and so they had a gallery here. They Previously, they had a gallery in, uh, in, uh, in New Mexico. And so they ended up back here, and, and they had a gallery at Pioneer Bluffs for a while and then went downtown. And so they really promoted art, and they were very sophisticated. So that was another confirmation for me is that I showed them my work, and they were enthusiastic. You know, like they, they yeah. loved my work. So it was just great to have you know some confirmation as you're trying to come out as a as a as a real artist. Yeah, yeah. This, do you know what brought them to that part of the world? What, how did they ever land there? Then, you know, they had come to the United States like 40 times, and always west of the Mississippi. So they traveled all over the West, <laughs> and they had come through Matfield Green and got in the. In the, or around yeah, Matfield Green, and ended up staying for a year out in the country. Wow. And then they they moved, you know, loved the place, but they moved on to Abiquiu. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they lived there for 10 years and had a gallery. But then I think there was some disagreement with their landlord at the gallery. Or, you know, like there was something they felt they should move on from Abiquiu. Yeah. And so they came back to Matfield Green. Yeah, so and, so and, and, Yeah, and so then they had were really outgoing and uh, made connections to the you know universities in Kansas and museums and and so this is back to earlier question they had 
a lot of European friends who were artists mm-hmm. who would love who came to Matfield Green and would love you know love the place. And so we would do projects together. So on the Prairie Art Path, there there are two or three sculptures that I did collaboratively uh, with with artists in, from the, the Belgium. That's exciting. Well, let's let's talk more about the um, the art path, the Prairie Art Path. So maybe you can help our listeners visualize what it is. So um, for me, I pulled into the parking lot. I don't know how you would prefer people to uh, arrive, but let's walk us through it visu- in your mind. In There's your mind. A, sort of more than one way to arrive, but there is. A, so first of all, there's a, a national scenic byway that goes through sort of the middle of the foothills. And so it's right, it goes right through Matfield mm-hmm. Green. Mm-hmm. And so, and the Prairie Art Path is a long, narrow property that is north of Matfield Green along the scenic byway. And it was uh, owned and developed by the, uh, the Santa Fe Railroad. And, it, and it's a bunkhouse for 10 workers that was built 100 years ago. And then it was also a, a cattle uh, station to load and unload cattle off the train. And so there were various, not, not really buildings, but fences and structures related to that. And then just before we bought the property around 2000, there was a, a, a prairie fire that was out of control that burned through some of this, this wooden uh, stockyards. And so it became sort of a ruin. So part of my work is cleaning up the ruin and, and, and making it safe and uh, you know, managing the prairie. And um, so there was a, the bunkhouse, which is up on a hill just north of Anfield Green. It's now an Airbnb with three units and is preserved to look exactly like it looked it, it historically. Um, is sort of the heart of, of the prairie art path. And so paths come from town between the railroad and the highway. And it's all very good prairie, you know, very uh, high quality. And, um, and so there are about four miles of paths in, in total that I mow and maintain and fight off the invasive species. So it's another point about art is that I have to keep remembering that I'm not, it's not a conventional art practice that I do is that the paths are my art, the paths themselves are my art, and the maintenance is my art, it's the connection. And and so I just, in in my maintenance operations, I come across materials to use in my work, basically. And I'm more and more into that, finding things because of the environment, you know, lower energy, natural materials, not, you know, trying to keep it really simple. Well, I noticed in some of the structures um, along the path, is it the sunflower uh, flower stalk that their stem that's hardened that you use in some of the pieces? Right. The um, it's called, called willow leaf sunflower, and I'm looking at it right outside of my window here. You know, it's um, you know it grows. It's got a yellow flower on in the fall. It's in flower now, and it's about it can get to be about eight or ten feet tall, mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. lacy. One stalk with lacy leaves, narrow leaves coming off. But the stalk itself is one of the only things that the one of the only plants I find in the prairie that actually lasts. It, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it, it can because it's very resinous. 
so we get these nice long sunflower stems to make things happen. Yeah, and so, but you talk about that, it's these sculptures, these pieces, will they eventually deteriorate um, and erode? I don't think they, uh, if they're inside, no. I mean, uh, most of the works I've done with these stems are in interior pieces. Mm, mm. And I don't know if you were referring uh, to an exterior piece with the sunflower stems. I thought I saw some, but I guess definitely some of the pieces outside are wood um, and are found objects. Will those, I, I, I guess the idea that the artwork will evolve over time and perhaps even turn into something else at some point. Yeah, and also every couple of years, the whole, all square feet of the prairie art path burn. And so it's an interesting challenge because you, you know, anything you make is going to be resistant to fire oh, wow. or, uh, or welcome fire to change or whatever, you know, it, but fire is a reality. And so the, one of the main pieces I, uh, on the path is where the parking is. There's a, a, a big fire circle. It's called mm-hmm. timber arches. And so that's made out of, uh, bridge timbers that I found locally in the farmer's yard, you know, field that were really big, uh, 16 by 16, you know, big pieces. And so I made a series of arches in a circle and, and with the fire this ring in the middle. And so it's used all the time. You know, people come and, you know, just to visit it or there's a party there, or, you know, it gets a, and so that gives us so, so much satisfaction to see people down there, you like using and engaging the person. Do you try to curate what happens there or are people free to do whatever they like? You know, I was nervous about curating uh, because I don't want to collect stuff that I don't like, you know. And and so, but it's, and so I worried about it for a while and then I just stopped worrying about it and didn't. I don't want to fill up the path in a, you know, an instant. It could take place over years. And I have a friend, who, you know, if I have a friend whose work I like, you know, invite them to do it and they do, you know. So it's very informal. And um, I guess that's the way it has to be. Yeah. Do you have, at one point I know you had an artist residency. Is that still happening there? You know, it's, it's not mine. It, it's, uh, it, I'm, I'm uh, it's not, I, we're related to the artist residency, the Tallgrass Artist Residency, because the residents stay in our uh, in Madfield Station. In the bunkhouses there, yeah, yeah, okay. So and so that's the relationship. Uh, we're very you know very close to them. They, it's a wonderful program of about ten artists through the summer for, here for ten days, and just next weekend the artist coming up this weekend the artists come back together and have a show and and uh, which will take place in the in the school in uh, Matfield Green that's uh, now a new uh, under new ownership the land institute used to own it and then there was a, a guy who used it to house goats for a while and then it was purchased <laughs> and now it's the the uh, school for cultural for rural culture and creativity and it's just developing so there's a lot going on in that field and there's a structure called the bank tell us about that okay the the bank I, we mentioned Ton and Ans, the the dutch folks they revived an old 
uh, sort of a dormant uh, 501c3 and, and took this building that was the last remaining building in Vanfield Green, the last remaining commercial building. And it was a storefront, you know, so this right up on the street and they made a, a gallery and they called it the bank because theoretically the building at one time was a bank. And so it was a success, you know, there was, there were great shows, especially with Tornadons promoting. And there were some uh, new people, young people in town who sort of helped run the place and, and, you know, contribute ideas and that were also artists and graphic designers. And, um, and so the, uh, but the building started to leak mm-hmm. and there was no toilet and there was no heat. <laughs> it was really completely just, you know, just a shell and a storefront. So now the, the nonprofit has changed names. It's called Matfield Green Works. And I am the current board chair. So there's, and as an architect, we're trying to uh, renovate the bank as a new gallery. I was about to say, when you said there was a lack of toilet and the structure, I'm like, Bill, you're an architect. Isn't that what you do? <laughs> well, it is. And, and, and unfortunately, I've been doing it since 2019. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just been appallingly slow because costs are not that much different here than they are in the city. Yeah, yeah. So even if it's this little building, it's going to cost, you know, uh, $500,000. Yeah. So, so raising money in, in this sparsely populated place is mm-hmm. a challenge. So we went through a bunch of different designs, and it seemed like we could just build something simple. But then we, uh, we got into a relationship with this well-known David Dow, is a great uh, friend and architect from Kansas City, who's uh, super talented and a great firm. He teaches at K-State. So we... We, the K-State studio, the fifth-year studio, took the project. And so for two semesters, we went through this, you know, went through again. And, but then at the end of that, it was a little bit, you know, it was too expensive, too urban, yeah. too. And so, so they moved on. And so now we're back and, and we've collected enough money that we hired a local architect and we've got a design team. And I'm sort of the building committee. I'm you know, working with them as a collaborator. And so now we've got this wonderful little building that with a, a wonderful bioswale that goes through where the, 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 the ditch was and, and really usable, uh, you know, of course, toilet, accessible parking, yeah. a place to meet, you know. And so it is, and it's also an information center which is a developing function that Matfield Greenworks is taking on because we're right on the byway and we're the only sort of landmark or only contact on the whole south end of the, of the, uh, the scenic byway that it's an information center. And so yeah. what our mission is to connect people to the earth and to each other. Yeah. And so we're trying to connect people to the earth. If a byway traveler stops and says they're into birds, we can send them to the, you know, the birding hotspots or where to swim in a river. Oh, we go down. You know, so we're the connection to the land because often people just drive the byway and they're sort of stuck in their cars. Yeah, there are yeah. a lot of no trespassing signs, which is a, you know, hard thing for me to, to justify. But uh, 
people are sensitive about other people walking on their land. Mm-hmm. And so we're really uh, trying to promote the idea of getting people on the land and, and finding ways to do that. And so we're working with the Nature Conservancy. They've got a, uh, a nice place that they're just opening up. It's just 15 minutes away. Yeah, yeah. And so we're a front door for for connecting, you know, getting people to. And then there's the whole art thing that we have a great community of local artists that um, will be able to show, and and then we'll get to, we have a relationship with uh, Kansas City Art Institute that, that can send students and have their first show in the bank. So there's all kinds of, uh, and so we've been actually using my studio, which is fun thing to do as our media space for a couple of years. So we have programs here, but we're just dying to have this great bank, uh, the bank restored and, and renovated. When, when do you think that will be finished? I think it will be in the next year, year and a half. Yeah. And your studio is the building there right along the path, the at, kind of at one end of the, end of the path? Right. We basically live on the path yeah, just yeah. north of the of Matfield Station about 300 feet, uh, we built a house. And it, the railroad had used, there's some access to the railway that they can use, like an easement. Yeah. And the, the site where we built the house was sort of abused, even though it was our property, the railroad had used it for years. And so we decided to build, instead of building up in the prairie, we decided to build on the abused site and yeah. take control. So nice. it's worked out well. We have a great relationship with the, the railroad. Well, and I saw, and maybe these are sort of old uh, railroad parts, but you had a pile of metal rusted pieces um, that looked like a collection that you were starting to think about what they could be used for. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've been here about 15 years, so I've collected a lot of stuff because it was basically an industrial site, you know, hinges and spikes and uh, big treated boards and uh, gates and that kind of thing. And then anything that comes through on the railroad, which has been a busy railroad for a long time. And so um, that's, I've always collected that kind of thing and then just sort of leave it around. And then uh, every once in a while I go to the pile and look for the right piece and and see what inspiration I can find. And so uh, it's a practice that I need to do more of because there's less and less stuff as I've collected over 15 years. And I, I'm sort of, every once in a while, I feel like, oh, man, I don't have anything. But, <laughs> I saw your pile. You do have some things. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I've got so many fence poles and this and that, but uh, uh, but there, it always takes care of itself. You know, something in nature will present itself and, you know, some new object. But I, I really would like to spend more time going to junkyards and, yeah. and really getting I, I, I do I do it occasionally, but not enough. I need to keep my eye uh, looking for great pieces. Do you have a piece on the path that you are particularly fond of? Uh, good question. Um, well, I think that the um, timber arches I'm fond of because it's people connect to it the most. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and then I, I made a piece not long ago that I'm getting used to that I'm, I'm fond of it. It's a, just a, a tall figure, about 12 feet tall, made out of Petsco's steel pipe. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, in fact, I was going to send you a picture, but I didn't. 
was going to take a picture yesterday, but the sun was on the wrong side of it. Oh, and I like the pieces too. I don't know what they're called, but that they kind of move with the with the wind. They- right. That that's a guy named Mike Miller, who mm-hmm. lives down by Wichita. He's a great uh, inventive me- mechanical artist, and so he's made this exotic wind machine that's very you know very durable and yeah. He's sort of new to the prof- to the profession. I think maybe he's probably ten or fifteen years, but. Um, he, he worked for, his father was a John Deere dealership owner, and so he worked around tractors and equipment for years and years, and so now he just, that just blossoms, and he's got a great imagination, and he could just build anything. Yeah. It's fit. Like and then cool. there are two horses that I love very much by our friend from Missouri that, that was a doctor, and then he came to the profession late. And so he's just started making horses, and he's made about 40 or 50 horses. And they're beautiful. They're beautiful. It was my Instagram post, actually, that as I was leaving your place that evening, the sun was just lovely and hitting the horses as we were walking by. Yeah, yeah. Well, is there a project that you're either working on or that's in your head right now that you really want to create? Uh, well, I, I am working on a project that... And I, I think I sent you a picture of it that uh, was this, was it, a, did we talk about this? It was the yeah, yeah, cottonwood cotton stem and it's right. turned into something right. different, you know. And so that's current. You know, I'm doing that. When we hang up, I'll go uh, uh, keep going on putting concrete on this thing. But, um, oh, I, I've had some big ideas. I'd love to, we have a nice hill on the other side of the track. That is a demanding view of the whole valley. And it's just like there's just a spot there that people gravitate to that I would love to do some kind of. So I I had, it was ambitious, and I came up with this sort of wind uh, weather vanes, a series mm-hmm. of weather vanes that were pretty big. and uh, and the, But then I realized it was going to cost $150,000. Mm-hmm. I'm not used to that kind of figure for my... Uh, for my work, and I don't have a patron that's going to pop for $150,000. It was just, you know, it was too much. And so you have to back off things, but I would love to get up there and do something that's that's visible, you know, uh, know, making the place special. Yeah. Do you have other artists that you look to for inspiration or that... um kind of guide, guide you? Well, I've always, I've always loved Andy Goldsworthy. You know, sure. He's been around for so long and, and his mode of getting out into the landscape and making things, I, you know, I really appreciate that. Your work definitely reminds me of his and has a similar feeling to it. He has the benefit of the patrons <laughs> at this point. No, it's so important for artists to know other artists, and I feel sort of—I—I I, I do know I have a range of artists that I know, and I like their work. I like—I—I I just don't, you know, I get ins- little bits of imp- inspiration from a lot of different people, and uh, I was lucky to—I uh, had never curated a show before, but just recently I curated a show at, at Mark Arts, a place in Wichita. Uh, that was a, supposedly about global warming artist response to 
to climate change. And the, the title was, What on Earth is Happening? Mm-hmm. So it, it really put me on the other side. I'd never done it before, and I don't think I did the perfect job, but I, I looked at all of my friends, and I looked at their work, and I thought, who, who's really trying to say something, you know? And so all of a sudden, there was this wonderful show. You know, it's, it's not- That's actually a really good point, um, that for a lot of us, we don't step on the other side and, and take on a role like as a curator, and I think it really does help you grow as an artist to to consider it from that angle and um, that's a that's a really good suggestion for all of us and I think when people you know think about being an artist there's sort of a conventional conception of what an artist is and it feels competitive and comparative and um, sort of scary off-putting like you've got to become something and I, I I've always been privileged. My father was a doctor. Money's not a problem. So the starving artist is, you know, people have to feed themselves. But, you know, I made the comment earlier, it's sort of my life or my existence is the art. It's not sort of a conventional product. Right. And and I don't do a product that's consistent in technology. You know, like I don't become an excellent painter or it's just like they're all different little technologies that I use. And um, so you, I think young artists just have to roll with it and find their, their place and not let the market and the convention dictate who you are. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you use any sort of social media to try to promote your work? You know, I'm terrible at these things, but I do uh, pretty active on Facebook. So I like to post, you know, I like to post things on Facebook. Yeah. Well, I, I do think, you know, because the location is maybe um, inaccessible for some folks, but the conceptually and the what you're doing there is interesting to a really broad audience. So in your case, I would think um, whatever effort you can put towards that is actually quite useful so that others can share in it. And then hopefully that, that interest, it will spark and it will um I would want encourage people to actually go because that that is the thing about a land based art, um, whether it's installation or artwork inspired by. Like, there's something about physically being there that's so very different than just seeing an image, hearing it. Websites. There's a www.mattfieldgreen.com, which is the the website for our uh, Mattfield Green works are not. Mm-hmm. And so that had, you know, post events and has some background. And then also uh, Matfield Station has some. So the, at, that, uh, oh, I get confused because I'm always wanting to get at, refine these websites. But the, uh, the, the path will, will be seen in that same website, yeah. the Matfield Station website. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, so before we leave today, is there anything... What do you hope your legacy is going to be with this, these works? Well, uh, the the uh, I just got back from the Prairie Festival, the land in, the land institutes uh, program in, in in Salina, a wonderful experience. And but in 2012, I built the fire circle there that it, it has survived and has been used almost every year except for COVID years. And by 
happy people that are gravitate to it. And, and so it's like a living legacy that it's not just some isolated piece of sculpture that, you know, everyone, you know, occasional person appreciates. It really comes alive. And so I think uh, when, when I'm gone and when we are out of this property, we will want to try to figure out a way to keep it uh, perpetuated. And mm -hmm. so it's just been the, the joy of, of people connecting and, and knowing that we were, you know, started it or were part of it is, is enough. Yeah. I love yeah. the fact that, you know, for me, because I knew there was something creative there, I wanted to go see it. But when I got there, then I, I saw the land in a different way. I smelled it. I, I breathed in the air. I, I don't know. I took in all the other surroundings in a way that I never would have. First of all, I wouldn't have stopped. And second, I wouldn't have gone at a pace to really notice it. And now it's, it's this thing that's inside of me that, you know, I feel changed because of it. And people get that, you know, people share that. People that come here uh, get enthusiastic. Well, I'm going to encourage folks to apply for the um, for the uh, Tallgrass Artist Residency or to just stop by on their way, whether they're from Austin to Minnesota or they could go across the United States the other way, east to west. You don't have to just go north and south. <laughs> Either way, you need to go through Kansas. So, well, thank you, Bill. This is absolutely wonderful. And I am just so honored to um, have made this connection with you. Well, thank you. Thank you for dropping in for your interest. It's great. Hope to see you again. Well, that wraps it up for us today. You can find Bill on Facebook at W.A. McBride. That's W-A-M-C-B-R-I-D-E. There are so many things I admire about Bill's art journey. I appreciate how he kept coming back to his love of open land and prairies and sought ways to develop those interests through organizations and people even while he maintained a demanding professional life in architecture. I love the serendipitous nature of his encounters with people who led him to this land, literally in the middle of nowhere, and how he developed friendships and partnerships who shared his passion. And I love how openly he shares this space and his artwork with the growing community and with complete strangers and highway wanderers like me. I hope you will continue to return to the ideas and interests that have stayed with you over the years, and I encourage you to speak them out loud so that the chance like-minded people and opportunities will know where to find you and your dreams. Until next time, stay kind, stay positive, and keep swimming. <laughs>